This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, the MLB Pipeline Top 100 draft prospects list has been released. We're going to dive into that today on the podcast. Who will the Twins take 1-1? Who could they take 1-1? There's still uh, quite a few names kind of in the mix. Also, what draft prospects have the best tools in the new Top 100? Before we get to the draft, though, there were a couple of current Top 100 prospects in professional baseball already that made their debuts this week for rival teams playing each other. So it kind of set up a a cool scenario out west. You have Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers' number one prospect, number 10 in the top 100, and Christian Arroyo, the Giants' number two prospect, number 84 in the top 100. They both make their debuts this week. Um, Arroyo off to a better start than Bellinger. Not that that really means anything at this point, but let's start with Bellinger, guys. Uh, and I'll let you talk about this first, Jim, because I know how much you like Cody Bellinger. But but the amazing thing to me is here's a guy that's, I guess, in the past technically considered a, a first baseman and a great first baseman at that. But he comes to the big leagues with the chance to not just play first if he needs to, but play the outfield, including center field. I mean, this guy can can play all over the place. Yeah, we, we've talked. I mean, you, you guys have heard me rave about Cody Bellinger throughout the spring, and I mean, I, I thought he was going to come up sooner rather than later. I, I didn't think it was going to be. I, I, I saw him as a prime rookie of the year candidate because I just thought he was going to come up. You know, maybe two months into the season. I didn't think two weeks into the season, but they needed him with their outfield. I think they had three or four guys on the DL and haven't hit a lot of home runs, but. You know, one of the things that makes him special, I mean, I think the thing that excites me the most is I do think this guy's the best power-hitting prospect in baseball. But, you know, we also talk about how great that defense is, and when we talked about our all-defense team, I guess that was back in January, I mean, some scouts thought he was the best defensive first baseman they've seen in the minors, and even though he's a first baseman, the the best defensive player at any position in the minors. And, and like you said, Tim, I mean, that the athleticism that makes him such a good first baseman allows him to play the outfield. I don't think he's a a long-term option in center field. I, I don't think you would want to play him in center on a regular basis. I mean, he's, he's capable of playing, I think, you know, a decent center field. You, you'd probably want more range in an ideal world, but I mean, he's more than capable on the corners. He's, his first two starts have come in left field. I, I don't think the defense is going to be a problem. Um, you know, he probably will take over eventually for Adrian Gonzalez at first base, but Adrian Gonzalez has two years left on his contract, and uh, you know, he won for eight in two games. I mean, you can't read too much into that. But I really think Cody Bellinger has a chance to to hit well enough that when some of these outfielders start to get healthy again in Los Angeles, that it'll be tough to send Cody Bellinger back down. I I, I would I think I really think he's capable of hitting 20 home runs this year as a rookie, even though he he's only 21 years old. Jonathan, uh, Dansby Swanson, Andrew Benintendi, and Cody Bellinger are now all in the major leagues, which means. Jim Callis needs a new prospect crush. 
<laughs> You're right. Uh, well, he can hold on to Bellinger for, for a little while longer just because he's still officially a prospect. But maybe you know, we could uh, put out a poll or something like that and uh, – you know, Twitter it, it might be can. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That that might be go. my new guy if if I have okay. to get if I have to stick that's, with a non big leaguer. So so uh, uh, Bellinger the power guy, but Arroyo the first to hit a home run amongst the two, and and a sweet one for Giants fans because it came off Sergio Romo, who of course left the Giants to go to the Dodgers, and that came on Wednesday night. But Arroyo's a different kind of player than Bellinger, right, Jonathan? Yes, although he probably has the ability to move around uh, as well if if they needed him to. He was drafted as a shortstop. Uh, long been believed that he probably wouldn't stay there uh, long term, although if you needed him to fill in, he would be acceptable, uh, probably better at second um, or third. Obviously, he's not going to play second base in San Francisco, and there was a needed third. Uh, he was going to see some time in the corner outfield as well, uh, you know, I don't think they got very far with that, but, uh, you know, I think we've already seen what he's capable of doing and how he can contribute, uh, you know, small sample size aside. I mean, really heads-up play uh, on the barehand ball, went off of Matt Cain uh, at third, and he's going to play very good defense. He's just another one of these Giants prospects who is probably better than the industry thought coming out of the draft, and, and he just has hit pretty much everywhere, and, I think he'll probably find his footing, uh, assuming that he continues to play virtually every day uh, in the big leagues. Uh, has the potential to put up this you know, kind of gaudy numbers that Bellinger could 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 put up? Uh, certainly not right away, but he is the kind of guy that will contribute to a team that tries to compete every year. Yeah, with Eduardo Nunez being the guy that started the year at third, you would think that if Arroyo gets into a nice groove here, he's just going to be the third baseman out there in San Francisco going forward. Um, so just an exciting way for those two guys to, to kick off their careers kind of against each other in a rivalry out west in San Francisco. So that was kind of neat this week. Uh, before we get into the draft top 100, which was just unveiled, uh, we want to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast, the show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. It's hosted by Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, and this week they went in-depth on StatCast's new sprint speed metric, and they make their first player induction into the StatCast Hall of Fame. Yes, that's a thing. You can download it on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast by searching for StatCast Podcast or by going to www.statcastpodcast.com. Com. All right, the draft top 100 is fresh off the presses. Obviously, you guys put out the 50 back in December. This expands that and also re-ranks that as well. There's some guys that were in the top 50 that are no longer even in the top 100, and then guys that weren't in the in the 50 at all that have jumped way up into this thing. And you can check out all the rankings on MLBPipeline.com. Uh, we're going to start our discussion here on the podcast with what the Twins may do, and there's still some decisions to be made at the top of that draft. And, Jonathan, you have an article out on the site right now about you include seven guys who, at this point, have a chance at least to go 1-1 in the draft come June. Now, that seven can kind of be broken down, and let's start with the big two at the top because Hunter Green and Brendan McKay, while there's other guys with a possibility, it seems like, really, for the Twins, it comes down to those two guys, two two-way players, although Green less likely to be that way in the pros, McKay more likely to go either way. Um, but 
as you look at it right now, they are number one Hunter Green and number two Brennan McKay in the draft top 100. How do you see this playing out as of now in the Twins' heads? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's still very much up in the air, and I think that they are still sort of kicking the tire, so to speak, on all seven of these guys. And you know, and we'll get into the, you know, the other names in, in a little bit, but. Uh, even the long shots, uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, the higher-ups, meaning, you know, the higher, higher-ups, Thad Levine and, and Derek Falvey, are going out and seeing all of these players uh, just so they're familiar if they want to try to make a deal and save money and, and use it later. I mean, there are a lot of different scenarios. But you know, Hunter Green was the number one guy on our top 50. He's still the number one guy. Uh, there was no reason for him not to be. Uh, you know, uh, up to 101, 102 uh, miles per hour this spring. A little bit of an interesting wrinkle that he's been shut down and isn't going to pitch the rest of the spring. He's not hurt, um, but he's not going to pitch. So if teams were hoping to see him another time or two, they won't be able to. Uh, but based on pure talent, uh, and you mentioned his, his, his two-wayness, he would be a first rounder as an infielder. Uh, no, not quite top of the you know top of the round, but a very very solid infield prospect. Uh, and uh, but he is definitely going to pitch, and he he's very much in the mix. And I fully expect that he will go one, two, or three at the very worst uh, come June. And then Jim McKay's a little bit of a different story because he's a guy who is more. He's, first of all, the lefty pitcher out of the college ranks, obviously Louisville. But as far as a two-way player goes, he could go almost as high as a position player. Um, the Twins, maybe it's a choice between the high school righty or the college lefty. Would they consider him as the power-hitting first baseman as well? Oh, yeah. And I actually think, you know, we, we've talked about him all spring, too. And early on, I, I thought it would probably be maybe a little bit more likely that he get drafted as a left-handed pitcher because I think they're harder to find than a first baseman. But I actually think that the tide is turning the other way. I think more teams, at least that I've talked to up toward the top of the draft, are looking at him as a first baseman. I had a, a scouting director who, who will not get a shot at him because he doesn't pick quite high enough say that he thought he would be, Brennan McKay would be a $200 million hitter on the free agent market, that the bat's that good. Um, that you're talking about a guy who could hit for average with 20, 25 home runs per year and called him the best college hitter in the draft. Um, I don't think the Twins have made their mind up yet. They don't have to figure that part out. Um, but it's interesting because it's a split camp. Because I did talk to a team that picks very high and could possibly have a shot at McKay, and they like him more as a pitcher. So, I mean, people have some strong opinions, but I, I think it's pretty much as close to 50-50 hitter-pitcher on Brendan McKay and pretty much as close to that being 50-50 on any top draft prospect. I can remember, usually these guys – kind of assert themselves one way or the other. You know, like we were talking about with Hunter Green. You know, Hunter Green could be, you know, with his power potential and ability to play on the left side of the infield, a, you know, mid-first-round pick, but he's going as a pitcher. There's no question. He's a pitcher. Or, you know, guys like, you know, Adam Hazley, who's one of the better hitters in college baseball, you know, he's a left-handed pitcher, but we know he's going to be drafted as a, a position guy, too, or Nick Prado is going to be drafted as a position guy. Um, I, I think McKay, it could really go either way, and I feel like I've used this line a million times in print and on our podcast but, I mean, really, the last guy who was this good both ways where he could be a top five or top ten overall pick both ways was Dave Winfield back in 1973. 
It's interesting because you mentioned that the kind of turning of the tide maybe from, hey, he's definitely going to pitch to it could go either way to maybe now they're leaning a lot more teams towards him as a position player. I think if you went back through our podcasts, you could kind of hear that happen because I remember you saying that on the podcast at first, like he's a lefty pitcher, that's what he's going to be, and then it kind of went midway, and now it's kind of changing to, to the uh, – the first baseman with the power. It's certainly interesting, and it'll be fascinating, and I'm sure whoever drafts him on draft day, they will make it clear. Usually you hear it in the announcement that, you know, as as whatever position they want him to be. But, hey, it's always nice to have a backup, a backup plan as well, and whoever takes McKay, there would always be that possibility if it doesn't work out one way to give him a shot the other way. All right, I mentioned that you have seven players in your article, Jonathan. So if Green and McKay are kind of tier one, Tier two, I guess, Kyle Wright from Vanderbilt, the right-handed pitcher, Royce Lewis, Jay Sarah, a high school shortstop slash outfielder, and then Paven Smith. That's the next group, and and what would have to happen for one of those guys for them to make that leap to 1-1? I think, uh, you know, Paven Smith is probably the third in that group in terms of the likelihood. Uh, you know, he, he's considered – you know, one of the uh, better hitters, uh, college hitters in the class, uh, right up there with McKay, I think, uh, but he is a first baseman only. Uh, with a proven track record of, of hitting and, and power, so all that works. Uh, Kyle Wright is pitching himself uh, into stronger consideration for the top of the draft. There hadn't been a, a college arm outside of McKay who – really separated himself to be a sort of number one pick kind of caliber guy. Now, some people thought maybe he and Alex Fajardo of Florida uh, would do that. And the first part of the year, uh, Wright didn't pitch very well. But his last couple of starts have been the kind of outings you want to see from a guy who's being considered in that neck of the woods. And, listen, there's still, what, six weeks before the draft. So, you know, if he – continues his string of really strong starts, especially as he gets into the SEC tournament, uh, you might start hearing his name a, a little bit more at the very top. And, and Royce Lewis is incredibly toolsy high school player. I uh, can do a little bit of, uh, of everything. Uh, you know, it depends on who you talk to in terms of whether you think he can stay at shortstop. If not shortstop, he'll play center field. So he's a dynamic up-the-middle player. He's the kind of guy that does get considered for the top of the draft. I keep wondering, new general managers in Minnesota, they're watching Byron Buxton struggle. Will they want to go down that road of a high school toolsy guy again? I don't know. Uh, but he is in the conversation. Uh, you know, uh, so if I were to sort of rank those three, uh, I'd probably say in terms of the likelihood of going one, it would be Wright, then Lewis, then Smith. And then the outsiders, I guess we'll call them, are interesting, I think, because when you talk about Mackenzie Gore, the high school lefty, he was number 28 in the original top 50 list you guys had back in December. And then Shane Baz, high school right-hander, number 40. So there's a, a couple of guys with the, the spring helium, I guess, or the winter into spring helium. And now suddenly they're in that discussion way up in the top 10 picks. Yeah, that, that's true. And with Gore... I don't think he's – yeah, I do kind of agree he's probably in that third tier. But, I mean, I've, I've talked to scouting directors who actually like him more than Hunter Green, believe it or not. Um, and he might surprise us with how high he goes. I'm not saying number one to the Twins, but 
you know, Mackenzie Gore, I think, is like right now to me, you know, on this day, looking like a pretty solid top five pick. Um, you know, maybe even goes as high as four. You know, he, he's got a lot of helium. Baz, I think, is, is kind of the distinct seventh guy in that seven-man race. When you say Jonathan, I mean, to me, that would be if the Twins decide to go and cut a dramatic, you know, deal right. and take a guy who probably belongs in the teens and then spend their money elsewhere. So, um, you know, but he has been very, very impressive. And, and as Tim noted, I mean, those are two high school pitchers who have, have really, really boosted their stock. All right. How about some tools? And we're going to break this down a little bit um, as far as hitters and pitchers and, and where the best tools come from here in the draft. And obviously it's, it's an interesting discussion because not only are you, are you comparing tools between draft prospects, but some of these guys are still in high school. Some of them are in the college ranks. So it, it is an interesting comparison. We're going to start on the offensive side of things. And I'll start with you, Jim. Of this new draft top 100, who has the best bat? You know, that one is probably open for more debate than some of these other categories. I would say Brendan McKay. I mean, we're talking about pure hitting ability. I would take Brennan McKay. Um, I think you could maybe even see him kick it up another half notch if he focused full-time on hitting. Um, that said, I mean, some guys will tell you Paven Smith, who, who we just discussed, is being in that Twins number one mix, the Virginia first baseman. Who would be on that list of candidates? I, I think on the high school side, Nick Prado, uh, you know, interesting two-way guy who we alluded to earlier, who will definitely be drafted as a first baseman. I, I think he would get a little bit of uh, mention. And, and even on the college side, I mean, there's some guys who, who think that UC Irvine's Keston Hyura, uh might be the best hitter on the college side. He's kind of a little bit of a wild card. I think he'll go in the first round. But he has an elbow injury, really hasn't thrown, even going back to last summer with the college national team, um, and a lot of suspicion that he'll probably need Tommy John surgery. You'd like to see him at second base. You know, when he's healthy, you're kind of guessing whether he can play there, but he should have the bat to profile in the corner if he doesn't. All right, so that's the best bat. Jonathan, how about the most power in this draft? Yeah, I'm torn uh, because, you know, I think there's some guys who, you know, it's, uh, have shown it. Uh, and then there are the guys who will show it. Uh, um, you know, you could make the argument uh, that Hunter Green has as much raw power as anyone, but he's not going to swing the bat at the next level. So that's interesting. And in terms of now power, um, I think maybe uh, I'd go with Jake Berger, uh, who who made a nice little uh, bump up uh, our, our list and. Uh, should be a first-rounder. Uh, he is a guy who uh, finished second last year uh, in home runs in all Division One, uh, and uh, was uh, among the leaders again this year. So he's shown the ability at Missouri State to, to hit for power. If you want, like, a dark horse candidate, uh, Helio Ramos from, from Puerto Rico has a tremendous amount of raw power. Now, there's some questions – about how much she'll be able to tap into it consistently at the next level. But raw power-wise, uh, it's right up there with Hunter Green and, and Austin Beck is another one, another high schooler uh, with uh, a lot of raw power. The interesting thing when you look at the top of that draft, obviously the Twins taking number one, but the Reds, a National League team, sitting at number two, Padres three. If, if one of those NL teams, you know, they get Green and McKay, and it, and it gets a little fun, I think, because – these guys, even if they end up pitching, are at least going to get some at-bats once they get to the major league ranks um, to, to swing the bat a little bit. And maybe Hunter Green is that guy like 
like Madison Bumgarner that can hit a couple home runs per year uh, while pitching as well. That'll be fun to watch if, if he can become that kind of guy. All right, speed, and we're back to you, Jim. Who's the fastest guy in this draft? I think it's it's one of two guys. Well, I think it's I think it's Quentin Holmes, the uh, New York high school outfielder, who, who's got a chance to, to perhaps go in the first round. You know, I think safely will go in the top two rounds. And if it's not him, it might be Kevin Merrill, an infielder from South Florida, who, whose profile he he's a guy who's got a lot of helium right now, uh, moving up boards. You know, even if he can't stick in the infield, you know, he'd be a center fielder, um, and he's sticking out as a, as a guy who can play up the middle, um, having a good year in college. And there just aren't a whole lot of those guys. He, he's probably right there in Holmes's Holmes's heels as the, as the two fastest runners in, in this draft. All right, defense, Jonathan, we're going to group everything into one here. This isn't arm strength. This isn't uh, the ability to run the best routes in the outfield or that kind of thing. It's just defense. So that kind of opens it up for you to go a lot of different directions. i, I got to go right to shortstop and take Nick Allen, um, who is one of my favorite guys in the draft anyway. Uh, you talk to area scouts in Southern California. Uh, he's one of their favorite guys, but no one really has any idea where he might go just because he's really small. Uh, and, but there is no question that he can play shortstop. Um, you just go and watch highlights from the perfect game, All-American Classic. He made a couple of highlight real plays. Uh, he's got a really good arm, so that works as well. Uh, he can flat out defend, and if a team thinks that he's going to hit enough, you know, that he'll add enough strength, uh, he could sneak into, into the first round, I think. Uh, just because of the, the defense and the speed, but per, primarily because he can play that pr uh, premium position for a long time. All right, switching over to the pitchers, and back to you, Jim. Best fastball in this draft, and uh, I, you know we've already talked about a guy who can hit 100 at the top of the draft. Yeah, no, it's Hunter Green. It is definitely Hunter Green. I mean, the scary thing is there might be more velocity in there because he's he's only 17 years old. He's so athletic and electric. He's a guy who uh, you know could perhaps throw even harder. I mean, with that, I'll, I'll throw out the caveat. I always do that. I worry a little bit about young guys who throw exceptionally hard. It just seems like it's sometimes hard to you know have your arm keep from you know or your arm hold up when you're throwing that hard. Not that he's had any physical problems, or I'm saying he's going to, but he he throws so hard, so young. It's almost scary. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you do have your concerns, and we've seen it plenty of times in the past, obviously, with, with guys that throw that hard that young and ending up having Tommy John surgery at some point, and like you said, who knows, he, you know, he may be healthy and have a 15-year career, but you certainly have to, to weigh that in the back of your mind if you're the Minnesota Twins. All right, breaking ball, Jonathan, and here's another situation where you have a few pitches to choose from, but overall, who has the best breaking ball? This is a tough one for me. Um, I think I might go with Alex Fayeto's slider. Um, now, what makes that a little interesting is that he's been throwing it too much. Now, you know, people have read our stuff. Uh, this may sound vaguely familiar uh, when it comes to the Florida Gators, because last year A.J. Puck threw his breaking ball way too much. But one of the problems that Fayeto has had, and this is a guy that uh, had a huge sophomore year on a staff of a bunch of guys that got picked really, really early. Um, he hasn't been as good. He had some knee problems early. Uh, but he's also just been relying on his slider way, way, way too much. Um, and uh, it's hurt it as a result, I think. But 
uh, it's definitely uh, right up there. I think uh, maybe Mackenzie Gore's uh, breaking ball would probably be up there, especially from the high school uh, crop uh, in this year's class. And finally, back to Jim for pitchability, which I guess command, control, all those kind of things into the pitchability category. Um, well, I'm going to go with a couple lefties, but I'm going I'm to throw in another breaking ball. I've had guys put Please. an 80 on J.B. Bukowskis' slider. So I think that's one that, that sticks out um, as well uh, and gives you some intrigue. Like, I think whoever drafts him will draft him as a starter, but I think he's one of these guys that we, you know, we saw with Chris Sale a few years ago, and you see it occasionally. That I think if somebody wanted to draft J.B. Bukowskis, Bukowskis, say that five times fast, and put him in a big league bullpen by the end of the year. I think his fastball and slider can handle that. In terms of the pitchability, uh, feels like I keep saying Brennan McKay's name. Um, I'm gonna go back to Brennan McKay. I mean, I think you know his stuff is good. It's not overwhelming. I mean, it's it's a plus curveball and it's often a plus fastball. But just the way he he commands his stuff to both sides of the plate and down the strike zone and mixes in a change and he really competes. I just think he gets the most out of his stuff. And, and, you know, Mackenzie Gore's an interesting guy, too, athletic and really good stuff, and he's looked really good this spring. He's got an high school side who's impressed me. But, you know, if I'm picking just one, I, you know, I think our, our best hitter in this draft and the, the best pitcher in terms of, you know, just pure pitching are the same guy. It's Brennan McKay, and, and that's why it's a difficult decision, not only exactly how high do you take him, but which way do you take him. Uh, Jonathan, Jim jumped in with a breaking ball, so if you want to steal one of his categories, feel free. No, no, no. I, uh, you know, Bukowskis was, was a good call. I think if you wanted to pick a guy from the right side in terms of pitchability, uh, Griffin Canning from UCLA is interesting. Um, uh, he's a guy who mixes his pitches really well. He's got good, not great stuff, but he has uh, moved up draft boards just because he's been one of these guys who – week after week has been one of the more consistent college performers uh, in, in the class. Uh, so, you know, he, he's never going to wow anybody, but he does really, really know how to pitch. That's a great call, Jonathan. You know, his, his I guess, path to what looks like a mid-first-round pick kind of reminds me of a, another Bruin in, in James Caprillion. Now, Caprillion's stuff really took off once he got the pro ball, and, he, and he's had a hard time staying healthy. But, you know, as a junior, I mean, he didn't, you know, Caprillion, I think, wowed you more with his ability to put the ball where he wanted than his ability to just, you know, throw it by you or, or overpower you with a really nasty breaking ball. The canning's a good call. Great stuff, guys, on the tools, and it's certainly going to be uh, really interesting as we get closer and closer to the draft if that 1-1 pick stays wide open or if you guys get together and see caucus on draft day at the network, and we know for a fact who the Twins may be taking 1-1. It'll certainly be interesting, and we'll cover it all the way along here on the Pipeline podcast. Also, make sure you go to MLBPipeline.com. Check out the new Top 100 Draft Prospects. Plenty of articles to, to go along with the actual list on there from Jim and Jonathan. So that is going to do it for another Pipeline podcast here. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.